Grace is yours and mercy and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Title of today's sermon is No Fatherless Child. There's a crisis of authority in America today. It's been that way for a while. Too many men father children but don't stick around to be their dad often because of a reluctance for long-term commitments and responsibilities, or a willing ignorance of what God calls us to do. Fatherhood falters in America. I checked the statistics last night. According to the National Fatherhood Institute, National Fatherhood Initiative, I used to be part of it, so I think I'd remember the name of it. According to the National Fatherhood Initiative, one out of every four children in the United States woke up this morning without the household presence of a father, stepfather, or adopted father at all. Of these 18 million children, in the absent fatherhood households. 40% of them have not seen their biological father in over a year. About half the children in many American households, in fact, in many American cities, about half the children born are born out of wedlock. It's a lower number than it had been just before this, but it's still alarmingly high. And a considerable number of the fathers who are at home are rarely with their families in their heavenly father's house. Some lack any interest in their children's physical or spiritual welfare. Some are too self-absorbed, and some long to be more involved in raising their children, but are prevented. Whatever the reason, it's quite appropriate that we would pray for fathers. Pray that every father in America and throughout the world will stand with his children in awe of the one who is their mutual father, the one who gives life, forgives sins, and fills our lives with blessings. Pray that every father might recognize the blessing and realize the privilege of being a father, so that the words of Proverbs 17 
might describe their homes. Children's children are a crown to the aged, and parents are the pride of their children. I always love that because we usually think of it the other way around. Children are the pride of their parents, and that, that too is true. But to live a life so dedicated to God by the grace of our Holy, God's Holy Spirit that parents would be considered a blessing to their children. That's something devoutly to be desired. And if you're among the number of fathers who want to be good dads, you've probably longed for more of many things. More energy. More time. More compassion. More awareness. More gratitude. More patience, forgiveness, and peace of mind. Safety for your children, especially when you are apart from them. Encouragement from the children's mother. The list goes on and on. But one thing you can never have too much of is love tempered by wisdom. One of my favorite tales of love tempered by wisdom comes from someone whose book I read just after he died. You might remember Tim Russert. He was a, a nationally known reporter who died kind of unexpectedly back in 2008. In, tw he, in 2007, he had written a book no, he, he died in 2011, come to think of it. But in 2007, uh, 2008, he had written a book about his memory of his own father. His own father was not a man who was well known. He was a quiet, loving, dedicated individual who spoke rarely but was reliable as much as he could be. And it was a book that was so moving that people started sending him memories of their own fathers. And at the point that it got to 50,000 emails and letters that he had received, his editor said, maybe you should do a follow-up to this book. And he said, well, we'll see, we'll see. And within the next month, it wasn't 50,000, but 60,000 different memories that had been shared. And he thought, how am I going to sort through all of these? So he got a whole bunch of people together and they read all 60,000 memories. And then they brought them to Mr. Russert and he published a number of them in a book that he called The Wisdom of Our Fathers. And there was one of them that struck me. It was from a retired teacher 
and her memory of her dad made the cut out of those 60,000. She called her memory of her father the lock. Maybe you've read the book, maybe you've heard the story, but it's not going to stop me from sharing it right now because I think it's really cool. She said, my father was a talented man who could build things in his fully equipped workshop in our basement. There was never quite enough money to go around, but he could make things that he could actually sell. He made chandeliers out of wagon wheels. He made custom booths for restaurants and all manner of craftsmanship projects that brought in a little bit of extra money and a whole lot of extra pride. And his son loved to help him. When the, when the son, Jim, was seven, he began going to his dad's workshop on his own, puttering, taking things apart, I really, I really resonated with this one because this was me too. When I was young, I loved to take things apart. I just didn't have the capacity to put them back together. And that's what young Jim started doing. He started taking all kinds of things apart, and sometimes when he couldn't get them back together, he would hide them along with the tools that he had borrowed from dad to make this happen. And when he got to be a little bit better at it, sometimes then too, he didn't put the tools back. Dad would have a project that he wanted to work on, and he couldn't find his favorite tools to make it happen. And as the note said, Dad began to keep his best tools where Jim my brother couldn't get to them. He decided that he would build a tool chest. And as he started to work on the tool chest, my brother watched him and helped enthusiastic, enthusiastically. But he got very quiet when he saw that my dad was fashioning a lock for the tool chest. What's that, Dad? He asked. Dad said, it's a lock so that only those who have a key can get to my best tools. And Jim said, oh, Dad, who would have that key? And Dad was just about to answer when he looked at his son he paused for just a minute and he said, I want you to know, Jim, there will only be two keys for that lock. One for me and one for you. That father discovered that there was more than one way to teach his son the value of his father's work and tools, and that bringing him in as if he already did so 
might accomplish far more than locking him out. Wouldn't it be wonderful if God could have taught us the value of his work the same way? If he could have just presented things before us to the point where we would value them so much that we would become holier and actually earn a place as his children. But of course, that could never work. Paul explains our situation and God's radical solution in our epistle for the day. Romans 5. While we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. People will scarcely die for a really righteous person, though perhaps for a really good person, someone might dare to die, but God shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have been justified by Jesus' blood, even more will we be saved by him from the wrath of God, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, how much more, now that we are reconciled, will we be saved by his life? Here there's forgiveness for every sin and shortcoming. The kind of comfort every father needs to feel, needs to depend on and share. It's the good news of new beginnings based on love for one another. But even more so on Christ's dedication and his sacrifice. It's faith that our relationship with our adopted Heavenly Father is good and solid and loving and will endure because Jesus has reestablished our relationship with the Father. Confident of all this, we can risk emotional involvement self-sacrifice and the responsible exercise of God-given authority restrained by the love of Christ. I'd like to close with something that I read 18 years ago when uh, the internet first kind of popped into my life in living color. I mean, I had been using the internet since uh, the early 90s, but it was like just words and stuff. But then they started with, uh, well, frankly, with Facebook. And uh, all kinds of different memes and things showed up. And one day I came across one that I kept, that I copied, and that I'd like to share. It was called, 10 Things I Learned by Having a Father. And I saved it 
because it seems to me that every item on the list is not only true, but it has a deeper meaning for our spiritual life as well. So I renamed the list. Ten things I learned by being a child. Not only of the Father God has given me, but as a child of God. Here they are. Number one, if you're the one that did it, just admit it. Number two, because you live in my house, that's why, is sometimes the most appropriate answer. Number three, this one was very touching to me. Just because I'm not thinking of my father doesn't mean my father's not thinking of me. Number four, no matter how alone I feel, I am never really alone. Number five, I have been given the things that I need most, but very few of them because I asked for them. Number six, there are some things that I am willing to die for. All of them are people. Number seven, I never asked to be part of this family, but there's nowhere else I'd rather be. Number eight, this one was tough for me growing up. There are other people at this table. Number nine, I have a key to my father's house only because my father gave it to me. And finally, I am loved most often by those closest to me. Each one of those truths would be true for me even if I hadn't been given the upbringing that I received. Even if I had not had both of my parents for so very long that I buried them when they were in their 90s. Every one of those things would have been true of my life with the Heavenly Father because of Jesus who invites you this day to dine with him. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen. I believe in one God, 
the Father Almighty, 